Oh, hey, good morning, everyone. How are we doing today? Hey, I want to welcome everyone who's joining us from one of our four other campuses. It's good to be with you today. I'm Levi. I'm the campus pastor here in Greece, and we are in week 12, if you can believe it, week 12 of our series called Your Life in the Family of God. We've been going through the book of Ephesians, learning from Paul about what it means to be in God's family, both what that means for our identity as who we are as children of God, but also about how we practically live that out. What do we do? How do we we live inside of God's family? And as we get near the end of the book of Ephesians, Paul's getting into how our identity in Christ, our new identity in Christ, impacts some of our most important relationships. And really today, what we're going to be talking about is marriage, are you excited? I'm, I'm pretty excited today. I, I think it's a really cool topic to be speaking on. And um, my hope is that today is both helpful for you, but it's also hopeful as well. I'm a big fan of marriage. I've been married for 11 years now, um, which is a, a beautiful thing. Yeah. Whenever I tell people that I've been married for 11 years, they're always really surprised. And I don't know if they're surprised that like, I'm, I've convinced someone to marry me or if that after 11 years I'm still married. Um, either way, when you meet someone who's been married a long time, not just 11 years, but a really long time, 30, 40, 50, 60 years into it, you wonder, don't you? It, 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 like, you kind of wonder, like, how, did you, how did you crack the code? How did you hack the system? In essence, we're asking this, what's the secret? What's the secret to a good marriage? Because it oftentimes feels like a secret, doesn't it? It kind of feels like a secret. I think it feels like a secret because good, godly, faithful, long-lasting, healthy marriages are just so hard to come by. They are. And I, I wish I could stand up here and say that that's like an out there type of problem. I wish I could say like that's an outside the church kind of a problem, but it's not. It's, it's an inside the church type of thing. And I, I'll be honest with you, as I was preparing for this message this week and last week, it was, it was just heavy. It was so heavy on my heart because I know that there's marriages at all of our campuses who are just going through it. They're just going through the mess that is trying to make sense of marriage and it's hard it's challenging and i know some of you have some brokenness attached to this idea this concept of marriage you have some things in the rear view mirror of your life maybe a divorce or a separation and i want you to know that today is not meant to heap up any type of woulda coulda shouldas on you any type of shame or any type of baggage like i you know you should have done that better you could have done that better uh, because here's the thing at the end of the day you can't change the past i know you know that I hope that, that you believe in, in the same God that we believe in, that, that the, there's a God of second chances, there's a God who is, who is active in the midst of his church, he's good, he's faithful, and he's all about restoring what is broken. That's the God that we believe in, that's the miracle working God that we believe in. So when we open up the word today, I hope that it's not a guilt trip or a, or a shame type of thing, but that it's helpful and hopeful for you as we move forward. Now before we get into the, um, the, the book of Ephesians, I want us to take a look at what Jesus says about marriage. 
I think it's important to start with what Jesus says about marriage. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 4. You can turn there in your own Bibles, or you can follow along on the screen with me. This is what it says in Matthew 19, verse 4. He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. This is what I want you to key in. The phrase is this, two become one. Think about the gravity. Think about the weight of what Jesus is saying. He's quoting Genesis. He's saying from the very beginning, this was God's plan. Two become one. Two become one. Think about how intimate of a relationship. Think about how close and personal that relationship. Think about how important that relationship is to God. Two become one. It sounds beautiful, doesn't it? Sounds poetic even, doesn't it? Two become one. It's just like this beautiful picture. But man, is it hard. Man, is it difficult. It's challenging, two becoming one. Here's why it's so challenging. Because you, you know, for, for however many years before you get married, like you're used to doing life on your own, right? You've learned how to do life by yourself in your own way. You know what time you like to get up in the morning. You know how you like your eggs cooked. You know how you like your coffee. You know how you like your toothpaste squeezed, right? Like you know how clean your kitchen should be. You know how fast you should drive. You know how to spend your money. Ooh. Church, you've learned to do life on your own and then you meet someone and you fall in love. And you realize the person you fell in love with and want to spend the rest of your life with has also figured out how to do life on their own. And you know what? They figured it out differently than you. So the two become one seems a little bit less poetic and it's just a more and more like feels like hard work. It's hard work. It's tough for the two to become one. My daughter, Selah, wants to get married. I think that's kind of cool. She's fine if she does never get married, but I think it's kind of cool that she wants to get married. The problem is she wants to marry me. <laughs> and I've had to tell her, like, I'm taken. I can't. You know, we have some moments. We have some really cool moments, daddy-daughter moments. If you, if you know what it's like to have a daughter, you know you have some daddy-daughter moments. And one of the things that we like to do is we like to dance in the living room. And so we'll put on a playlist and we'll just we'll dance. And because I'm not a good dancer and she's only five... It really looks like me just kind of dragging her around the living room, which she loves, by the way. But in some of our most graceful moments, you know, we, I do the twirl, you know, and she feels like a princess when I do the twirl, and she could just twirl and twirl and twirl and never get dizzy, and she just loves it. And then, and then what I did, and I did recently, I did the twirl, and then I did the dip. You guys know the dip? There's nothing that feels more elegant than the dip, right? And... Um, and uh, she, she goes down, and she goes like this, and she says, Daddy, we should get married. <laughs> I was like, man, this turned into something not, that I was not expecting it to turn into. And uh, I was like, well, I can't marry you because I'm happily married to your mom, and I'm not leaving her for you. I'm sorry. That's... But in that moment, I was actually preparing for this sermon, and I was thought to ask her, I was like, well, Selah, what do you think is the secret to a good marriage. And she goes, dancing. (laughs) 
She's serious. She's just, she needed to dance. And I think there's something to that. I really do. When we talk about the two becoming one, I think that marriage is a dance. It's a dance. Think about it. Two people coming together, and they've got to learn to work together. They've got to move in unison. But here's the thing. If you don't know the dance, if you don't know the steps, you don't know the rhythm, you're not going to be dancing. You're just going to be running into each other. Right? You can't just do whatever you want to do. You can't just make up the steps as you go along, which is why it's so important that we follow God's blueprint about how to actually dance. How do we actually do this thing called marriage? And uh, I'm excited. I think Paul's got some really good things on just the steps. How do we work this out? How do we figure out this dance of marriage? So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. You can turn there in your own book so you can follow along. We're going to go back before we go forward. I hope that's okay. We're going to go back and cover, cover a little bit what Pastor Jeremy, Jeremy... Pastor Jeremy did a great job last week. I'm not re-preaching his sermon, but sometimes you've got to go back before you can go forward because when you look at what Paul was doing, he's writing a letter. He doesn't have these headings and paragraph breaks and verse breaks and chapter breaks. He's just writing a letter. And so sometimes to get the context of what he's talking about, you have to go back before you can go forward. So we're going to pick it up in verse 18 today. So let's, let's take a look at what Paul says. He says this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, submitting to one another, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul says there's this connection between being filled with God's presence on the inside and actually working that out in the life of the church. That the way we live this out, being filled with the Spirit, one of the ways that we live this out is we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Meaning when you're a part of the family of God, you can't just do whatever you want to do. You can't just have your own way all the time. You have to learn what it means to be in the family and what that means is you submit to one another. If you've ever been on vacation, you know this. When you go on vacation by yourself, you get to set the agenda. You know what I mean? You get to set the agenda. You get to determine where you eat. You get to determine, you know, if you go to an amusement park, what rides you go on. You get to determine how much money you spend. And you get to figure out all of that on your own, and you get to do whatever you want. But if you've ever gone on vacation with another family, Anyone ever do that? Like you ever go on vacation with an extended family or a, or a family from church, you realize that you don't always get to do whatever you want. Sometimes you have to do what they want when they want, right? You have to learn to submit to one another, and that's what Paul is getting at here. You have to learn to submit to one another in the context of the church. And then he goes on a little bit further, and he says, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like for husbands and wives. He goes, next week we're going to get into parents and children. Uh, but he, he says, this is the overarching view, is that we're going to learn to submit to one another. And then he goes into how that is fleshed out in marriage. Okay? So let's get into verse 22 that says this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. 
In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves, him, loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, sound familiar, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. That was a lot. Paul is essentially saying this. Christians, your new life in Christ, your new identity in Christ, now that you're in the family of God, it's going to impact your marriage. You're going to do marriage differently. You're not going to do it the same as you used to do it. It might seem elusive, a good marriage. It might seem like a secret, a good marriage. But Paul's saying it doesn't have to be. So I've got three points for my sermon today that I just I want to share with you. I think just three things that capture the heart of what Paul's saying, a good marriage, what it looks like. So the first one is this. A good marriage is a marriage that honors Christ. A good marriage is a marriage that honors Christ. Listen to what he says in verse 21, uh, 22, and 25. See how Christ is woven into the fabric of this verse and into the fabric of marriage. He says, submitting to one another out of what? Reverence for Christ. And then on 22, it says, wives should submit to their own husbands, what? As to the Lord. And then husbands, love your wives as what? As Christ loved the church. You cannot divide these things. What, what Paul's saying is like, your marriage is significant. Your marriage is important. Your marriage is vital to your spiritual life. It's not a disconnected, disjointed kind of thing. He's saying if you're going to be have this new life in Christ, you're going to be a new creation, you're going you're to walk with Jesus now, it's going to impact the way you do marriage. Keep in mind that when Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, there's three predominant cultures that are kind of, it's like this hodgepodge of culture. So you've got Jewish culture, you've got Roman culture, and you've got Greek culture all in this city. And they're all, they've all deviated in some way further and further away from God's design of marriage. Prostitution was rampant. Divorce was incredibly common. It was actually said in some of the um, in some Jewish sects, it was it was allowed that you could actually divorce. You could hand your wife a certificate of divorce for oversalting your food. Could you imagine that? Right, that'd be pretty ridiculous, right? But that's where we're at, right? That's the state of marriage in this time. And what Paul's saying is, don't look to that. Don't look to that culture. Don't look to the the culture that you've grown up in to to get the secret sauce of marriage. It's because you're not going to find it there. You have to look to Christ. Church, we can get our ideas about marriage from so many different places, can't we? You just turn on the TV and you'll find out what makes a good marriage, right? You turn on the TV and that's the secret of marriage, right? Any sitcom you watch, it'll tell you what a marriage is supposed to look like. You can get your ideas from entertainment and media. You can get your ideas about marriage from your parents and your grandparents. And some of those might be really good examples. Some of them, maybe not so much. 
Or you can get your marriage from your co- you can get your ideas about marriage from your coworkers and your neighbors and your friends. Some of them good examples, some of them not so good examples. But church, shouldn't we be getting our picture of marriage from God? The one who actually instituted marriage? Like if you're going to learn a dance, shouldn't you learn from the one who knows the steps? Shouldn't you learn from the one who created the dance? That's what Paul is saying here. It's like you're a new creation. You're, you're in the family of God now, and it's going to impact your relationships. Predominantly, it's going to impact your marriages. But it's not easy to, to have a marriage that honors Christ, is it? Right? I think sometimes when we think about a marriage that honors Christ, like we think about like, okay, I'm in the church and I've got a biblical view of what marriage is. I think some of us, we just think that a biblical view of marriage is just committing to not get divorced ever. Like we think like that's the bar. Like as long as we don't get divorced, we'll be good, right? We just have to figure out the, the in-between from now till then, right? But there's so much more to it than that. It's not just a commitment not to, not to end the relationship. It's how do, you have a, how do you have a relationship that's actually centered on Christ? Where, where you say, Jesus, you are Lord, of not just of me, but of this. That you're in control of this relationship. And because of that, I don't always get to do whatever I want to do, but I'm going to allow you to have lordship and rule and reign in my marriage. So, I know that it's not easy to do that, and so I wanted to give you just some, some, some practical hangers, some practical ways that we can maybe just live this out and maybe reorient our, our lives, the direction of our marriage towards Jesus. Can I do that today? We got three habits to honor Christ with your marriage. This isn't the end-all, be-all, but I think these are like some mini habits that you could take on and apply. The first one is this, to pray together. Pray together. Right, like, like maybe in the morning before you go off to work, just set some time aside to pray with your spouse. Maybe it's at the dinner table and you just have a significant time of prayer. You just you always kind of meet up at the dinner table and you pray together. Maybe in the evening you pray together before bed, or maybe you commit to praying when things are tough. Right, like when you're going through a hard time in a hard season, you make that your first response. You make that the first thing that you do. When things are tough, you say, all right, we need to pray. Or you see your spouse, you see your husband, you see your wife, and they're struggling, they're heavy, and your first response isn't necessarily to to criticize or say, hey, what's wrong with you? But it's, can I pray for you? Can we pray together? If we're tense and we're fighting, can can we just hit the pause button and say, can we pray together? Can we just realign ourselves with the heart of Jesus? So we're going to pray together. Second thing is maybe we can read the Bible together, Right? We could read the Bible together. There's some great ways to do that. Maybe you have some morning devotions or some evening devotions, and you just set aside some time. You say, I'm going to read the Bible together with my spouse. Um, there's a really cool feature in the YouVersion Bible app. Has anyone ever used that? Raise your hand at all of our campuses. You guys use that, the YouVersion? Uh, if, if you don't use it, just get it. It's a really good resource, but one of the things you can do is start a plan, a reading plan with someone. You can invite someone into that. Maybe you do a reading plan with your spouse. That would be a great way to read the Bible together. And then one, another way to do this is um, we have a, a great resource at Crosstown, a free resource for you. It's called Right Now Media. I don't know if you guys use that or not, but you can access it right through our website at crosstownalliance.com and activate it, and it's absolutely free. And here's what it is. It's basically like, like Netflix for, for Christians. It's like Netflix for the church, but it's got tons of Bible studies on there. 
You can go through a video curriculum. You can read and study the Bible together. Some great resources to read the Bible together. And then lastly, serve together. Serve together. Maybe you serve on a team uh, here at Crosstown. You, 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 know, you greet people together. Or you, you serve in Kids Zone, or um, you serve in the tech booth or whatever it is. You, you serve that way. Maybe you serve through an outreach and you just, you just serve in the community. We have a lot of outreaches coming up because it's Christmas time. Every one of our campuses have outreaches coming up. Just volunteer. Sign up to serve together this Christmas season. Or maybe it's just you, you're kind of organic, right? You just kind of invite your neighbors over. You, you're salt and light and you're witnesses to your neighbors. And you just do that in an organic way. Whatever it is, you can serve together. These are three mini habits to kind of reorient your marriage towards a Christ-centered marriage. Um, my advice would be this. Just pick one thing. Don't get overwhelmed with all those things. Just pick one and say, we're going we're gonna to try this out. We're going to try this out, and over time, I think what you'll see is a shift in, uh, in your marriage and, and, and that it would be a, a, not just a commitment not to get divorced, but really a, a spirit-empowered, faithful, good, healthy, Christ-centered uh, marriage. If you're not married and you're dating someone, I know some people are dating right now, uh, you can do this too. You don't have to wait till you get married to do this. You can do this right now. And, it, and I tell you this, if you do it before you get married, it's a lot easier to do it after you get married, right? You can, you can do it now and create some of those healthy rhythms to have your relationship centered on Christ beforehand. That way, when you go into marriage, you're centered on Christ afterwards. And I, I want to say just a special word to anyone who's single out there, because I know I don't want this to fall on deaf ears, because I know not all of you are married. If you're single, you're divorced, you're, you're widowed, um, I, I just want to say something. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing. I know in church it's kind of hard to be single. It's, it's hard because you see so many other families. You see everyone else is kind of you know, kind of partnered up and paired up. I want you to know that you are whole and you are complete and you don't need another person in your life to like complete you in any way. You've got God, you've got the Holy Spirit inside of you and you can actually do significantly more than most married people can. So if that's you and you're content in that, keep rocking that, okay? Keep going in that. Don't feel like you're incomplete in any way. But if you do have a desire to get married, this is what I want to say. As you're pursuing, as you're running after Jesus, don't slow down for someone else. As you're pursuing Jesus at a pace, like make that your primary target. And if someone can keep up with you, awesome. But don't lower your standards out of desperation. Don't lower your standards because you just think, I'm just never going to find someone who's, who's just, who loves Jesus the way I do. I'm just never going to find that, that someone. Keep your standards high because you want a marriage that honors Christ. That being said, I know that there's some, some of you who are at our church right now at all of our campuses who are, are you're a Christian, you're devoted Christian, and you want a God-honoring marriage, and your spouse is not a Christian. And I understand that you're dealing with some tension that not, not everyone is dealing with. But I want you to know that you're not alone. Um, not only do you have a church family that wants to surround you with support, you also have people in our, at all of our campuses who are in that same situation too. 
or dealing with the tension of like, I want to I serve God, I want to love God, but I, I've got a spouse who just doesn't want to do that, is not interested in that. I, you've been praying for them. You've been inviting them to church. I want to encourage you to just keep going, keep loving on them, keep, keep at it. And, and, and when things get tough and you really feel the tension, lean on your church family for support because you're not alone in it. So we want to have marriages that honor Christ. Secondly, a good marriage is a marriage that serves each other. A marriage that serves each other. Paul outlines how this is specifically fleshed out for husbands and how it's fleshed out for wives. But know that we're not just in it for ourselves and what we can get out of it, but it's a marriage that serves one another. Let's, let's see what Paul has to say about this. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So we're going to tackle wives first, and then we'll tackle husbands second, okay? And the, the reason why he, he kind of separates it is because he's just got different directions for each one. It's just, it's just, it just, this dance kind of works itself out differently depending on whether you're a husband or a spouse. And this is what he says. He says, wives should submit to their own husbands as to the Lord. That the way a wife honors God in their marriage is by submitting to their husband. And, and he uses Jesus as an example. He says, just like how the church submits to Jesus, wives are to submit to their own husbands. What does that mean? We can read that and kind of try to assume some things about what that actually means. This is what it means. It means that as your husband seeks to provide for you and protect you and love you well, you respond with submission and honor. This is, it's a posture of respect for your husband. It means that when making decisions, you give weight to what your husband says. It means that even if, like, the girls all go out and they gather and they're gossiping about their husbands and they're complaining about their husbands, you say, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to take part in that. It means, like, I'm not going to get on social media and berate my husband. I'm not going to get on social media and complain about my husband. It means that you don't second-guess your husband. You don't make it difficult for him to make decisions. It means that you put trust in your husband. It means that you seek to give your husband the benefit of the doubt. It means that you support him. And it means that you seek to strengthen him despite his weaknesses. Because he has some weaknesses. He does. See, the thing about the two becoming one, the thing about dancing with a dance partner is your dance partner is broken. Right? Can you imagine dancing with someone with a broken leg or a broken arm? Like it's 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 not easy. Like you're gonna have to you're gonna have to dance a little bit differently because your partner is broken. That's why two becoming one is so challenging. Sometimes, ladies, sometimes your husband he doesn't provide for you or protect you or love you the way that he should. Sometimes he doesn't always make the best decisions. Sometimes he's foolish. Sometimes he's selfish and he's arrogant. Sometimes he spends too much time hunting or playing video games. Sometimes he doesn't help out around the house. Sometimes he's not present with the kids as much as he should be. Sometimes he commits outright sin against you. And when that happens, 
We're going to seek forgiveness. We're going to seek reconciliation. We're going to seek to dance well in the midst of brokenness. That being said, I want to clarify that this verse in no way gives any right for abuse in a, re- in a relationship. Well, you know, like if, if that's you, this, if you're experiencing abuse in your relationship, this is not the verse that says, just grit your teeth and bear it because my husband's just imperfect and I just got to put up with it. That's not the case. At all of our campuses, I want you to know that if you're in one of those relationships and you need help and you need support, that you come to the church and you come to a friend, a brother, a sister in Christ, you come to a campus pastor, a small group leader, we would love to give you the support that you need. I don't want this verse to be taken as any type of thing where you know, a wife just needs to you know, submit, be a good wife, and grit her teeth and bear any type of abuse because that's not what Paul's saying and that's not the heart of Jesus. Amen? It's also not a, 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 an invitation to follow your husband into sin. It's not an invitation to follow your husband into a sinful lifestyle or a sinful attitude or sinful practices. You have a responsibility to first obey God and then to submit to your husband. So that's the, that's the wife that's how you submit and you do your dance. Husbands, let's read about what you have. There's a lot, you've got a lot more verses, by the way, husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Husbands, the way you serve your wife is by loving her with a self-sacrificial kind of love. So as your wife submits to you, you lay your life down for her. This is the dance of marriage. What does this mean, husbands? This means that you listen to your wife When you get home from work and you're tired and you think you deserve some me time. But your wife's also been working all day too. And she wants someone to talk to. You lay your life down. And you listen. What does this mean? It means that you spend quality time with your wife. It means that you help out around the house. And you're actively involved in raising your children. It means you seek to understand who she is and how she's wired and what she needs from you and you do your best to provide that for her. It means that you're not lazy. It means showing up when it matters most, even when they least deserve it. Paul says that when we love our wives, it's as if we're loving our own bodies. When we pay attention to our wives, when we nurture, when we lay our life down, it serves the two becoming one. Guys, sometimes it means laying down your life and loving her even when she disrespects you, second guesses you, criticizes you, and doesn't do the things that you think she's supposed to do. You know why? Because just like you, she's broken too. 
That's the dance of marriage. Two imperfectly imperfect people becoming one, learning how to dance together. And sometimes the dance looks like a spin and a dip, but oftentimes it looks like two bodies just kind of running into each other and stepping on toes. You're laughing because you know it's true. Honestly, I, 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 I thought I was, I, I didn't think I was very selfish until I got married. I, I, you know, but then I realized that much of my life was spent serving me and making me happy. So then when I got married, I realized that I was a lot better at making myself happy than I was at making my wife happy. It's ironic that we pledge our love and our devotion and our commitment to each other on our wedding day. And after a decade in, I can tell you, I can honestly tell you, I didn't really know what I was talking about. I didn't. Because I've had to learn to love my wife day in, day out, year in, year out, even when it's hard, even when it's challenging. Because love is more than a snuggle and a kiss. It's laying your life down on the wedding altar. Laying down your own life and picking up theirs. I like how Paul sums it up in verse 33. He says this, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So in summary, this is what Paul is saying. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. That is the dance of marriage. And I tell you guys, it's hard. It's not easy to do. Which is why Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. He doesn't just say, guys, just get your act together. Ladies, just do your thing. Like he doesn't just say, come on, like just just rub some dirt in and just and keep going. He says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because he knows you can't do it on your own. You can't lay down your life over and over and over and over and over again in your own strength. You have to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we pray as a church, we pray, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can keep loving well, that I can keep doing this dance well, that I can keep serving well. So a good marriage is one that serves each other. And then lastly, a good marriage is a marriage that proclaims the gospel. It's a marriage that proclaims the gospel. In verse 26, it says that Jesus gave himself, he laid down his life, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus laid down his life so that you would be holy and without blemish. I got to say, church, I remember. I can look back at my wedding day. I remember what Megan looked like as she came down the aisle. Now, we got married in a hurricane, and so she had an umbrella with her, but she had spent all day getting ready. Her makeup was all done. Her hair was all did, and she had a a beautiful dress, and we didn't do one of those, like, pictures um, where you kind of look at each other. You do that reveal. Like, the first time I saw her was when I was standing at the altar, and she was coming down, and I thought to myself, there's, I'm never going to see something more beautiful in my life. I'm never going to see someone more beautiful in my life, and, and, her dress, and it was just without spot. It was without wrinkle. 
Every little detail was attended to. And, and I, like, that's the picture that Paul uses to, to describe what he does with the church. What, 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 what Jesus, he, he lays down his life as a sacrifice so that you would be without spot or wrinkle or blemish. And he cleans us up and he sanctifies us and he cleanses us. So, because Jesus laid down his life for us, we can lay, our, we can lay down our lives for each other. And I would encourage you, if that's you, if you're in a marriage right now, you can do that. And even if you're not married, you're single, you're widowed, you're divorced, you're whatever, fill in the blank. We can still lay down our lives because he laid down his. So I've got one kind of action set for you today. As we get into this... This is not easy. So my one action step for you is to pray. When things are hard, when things are challenging, when you feel like you're at the end of your rope, when you're in conflict, when you don't have anything left to give, pray this, God, help me be more like Jesus towards my wife, towards my husband, fill in the blank, towards you know who it is. God, help me be more like Jesus, that you would take on his posture, you would take on his humility, you would take on his servant's heart. But the thing is, you can't do it without God's help. You can't just use Jesus as an example without using him as a power source too. So God, help me be more like Jesus towards my spouse. And here's the beautiful thing. When we do this, when we actually live this thing out, imperfectly, by the way, it doesn't just share the gospel in word, it demonstrates the gospel. That Jesus saw you when you didn't expect it and you least deserved it. He laid down his life for you, broken and imperfect. And then when we do that, and our lives and our marriages become a picture of the gospel and they point people to Jesus. And over the long haul, day in, day out, month in, month out, year in, year out, decade in, decade out, when that becomes our story, someone's going to come up to you and they're going to say, what's the secret? And you can say, well, let me tell you about Jesus. Because a good marriage is one that points people to Jesus and it proclaims the gospel. I want to invite all of our worship teams forward as we wrap up today and I'm going to close us in prayer. God, you are good. You are a faithful father that chose to love us when we didn't deserve it, broken and in the midst of our sin, 
And you chose to lay down your life for us, not just to be an example, but to cleanse us and to sanctify us and to present us blameless and holy. So God, I pray for our church. I pray for, I pray for the marriages that are just going through it right now. Some of them may be barely hanging on by a thread. Some of them struggling to get by. Lord, I pray for, for you to be present at the center of those marriages. And God, you would be just refilling and refueling just heavy, worn out people. I pray for reconciliation. I pray for love. God, that people, when they look at the marriages in our church, that they would see you at the center. They would see you pictured like just the gospel, what you did for us, that it would be a story that we could tell of your goodness and your faithfulness. And God, we do believe that you are a miracle-working God who revives things and brings things back to life that restores broken things. And so, God, I pray for all the broken marriages in our church that you would restore, that you would rebuild, you'd bring them back to life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.